Dear listeners, are you tired of the endless cycle of fad diets and extreme measures? It's time to wake up to a better weight loss solution with Robody. As someone who's been through the ups and downs of weight loss, I know firsthand the challenge of trying to find what will stick. That's why if I qualified for Robody today, I'd jump at the chance for a scientifically backed program that supports long-term success. With Robody, you'll gain access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market, paired with personalized lifestyle changes. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. Say goodbye to the roller coaster of weight loss dreams and hello to sustainable, real results with Robody. Go to row.co slash snoozecast. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash snoozecast. episode is brought to you by The Fair Green Veil. Tonight, we'll read the next part to The Secret Garden, a novel by Frances Hodgson Burnett published in 1911. If you'd like to listen to this story's episodes in order, go to snoozecast.com series. In the last episode, Dickon comes to Misselthwaite Manor to meet Colin with Mary. The three children start devising their plan to covertly bring Colin into the secret garden. Mr. Roach, the head gardener, is ordered by Colin to be sure that all servants and groundskeepers are away at the times he decides to be pushed in his wheelchair outdoors with the children. get cozy. Close your eyes. Relax your body into the softness of your bed. Now, take a few deep breaths. Dickon wound in and out among the shrubbery and out and round the fountain beds, following their carefully planned route for the mere mysterious pleasure of it. When at last they turned into the long walk by the ivied walls, the excited sense of an approaching thrill made them, for some curious reason they could not have explained, 
begin to speak in whispers. This is it, breathed Mary. This is where I used to walk up and down and wander and wonder. Is it? cried Colin, and his eyes began to search the ivy with eager curiousness. But I can see nothing, he whispered. There is no door. That's what I thought, said Mary. Then there was a lovely, breathless silence, and the chair wheeled on. This is where the robin flew over the wall, she said. Is it? cried Colin. Oh, I wish he'd come again. And that, said Mary with solemn delight, pointing under a big lilac bush, is where he perched on the little heap of earth and showed me the key. Then Colin sat up. Where? Where? There? He cried, and his eyes were as big as the wolf's in Red Riding Hood, when Red Riding Hood felt called upon to remark on them. Dickens stood still, and the wheeled chair stopped. And this, said Mary, stepping onto the bed close to the ivy, is where I went to talk to him when he chirped at me from the top of the wall. And this is the ivy the wind blew back. And she took hold of the hanging green curtain. Oh, is it, is it, gasped Colin. And here is the handle, and here is the door. Dickon, push him in, push him in quickly. And Dickon did it with one strong, steady, splendid push. But Colin had actually dropped back against his cushions, even though he gasped with delight, and he had covered his eyes with his hands and held them there shutting out everything until they were inside. And the chair stopped as if by magic, and the door was closed. Not till then did he take them away and look round and round and round as Dickon and Mary had done. And over walls and earth and trees and swinging sprays and tendrils, the fair green veil of tender little leaves had crept. And in the grass under the trees and the gray urns in the alcoves, and here and there everywhere were touches or splashes of gold and purple and white, and the trees were showing pink and snow above his head 
and there were fluttering of wings and faint sweet pipes and humming and scents and scents. And the sun fell warm upon his face like a hand with a lovely touch. And in wonder, Mary and Dickon stood and stared at him. He looked so strange and different because a pink glow of color had actually crept all over him. Ivory face and neck and hands and all. I shall get well, I shall get well, he cried out. Mary, Dickon, I shall get well, and I shall live forever and ever and ever. Chapter 21 Ben Weatherstaff One of the strange things about living in the world is that it is only now and then one is quite sure one is going to live forever and ever and ever. One knows it sometimes when one gets up at the tender, solemn dawn time and goes out and stands alone and throws one's head far back and looks up and up and watches the pale sky slowly changing and flushing and marvelous unknown things happening until the east almost makes one cry out and one's heart stands still at the strange, unchanging majesty of the rising of the sun, which has been happening every morning for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. One knows it then for a moment or so. And one knows it sometimes when one stands by oneself in the wood at sunset and the mysterious deep gold stillness slanting through and under the branches seems to be saying slowly again and again something one cannot quite hear, however much one tries. Then, sometimes, the immense quiet of the dark blue at night with millions of stars waiting and watching makes one sure and sometimes a sound of far-off music makes it true, and sometimes a look in someone's eyes. And it was like that with Colin when he first saw and heard and felt the springtime inside the four high walls of a hidden garden. That afternoon, the whole world seemed to devote itself to being perfect and radiantly beautiful and kind to one boy. Perhaps out of pure heavenly goodness, the spring came and crowded everything it possibly could into that 
one place. More than once, Dickon paused in what he was doing and stood still with a sort of growing wonder in his eyes, shaking his head softly. Ah, it is greatly, he said. I'm twelve going on thirteen, and there's a lot of afternoons in thirteen years, but seems to me like I never seed one as greatly as this one here. Aye, it is a greatly one, said Mary, and she sighed for mere joy. And the light reigned. They drew the chair under the plum tree, which was snow white with blossoms and musical with bees. It was like a king's canopy, a fairy king's. There were flowering cherry trees near and apple trees whose buds were pink and white. And here and there, one had burst wide open. Between the blossoming branches of the canopy, bits of blue sky looked down like wonderful eyes. Mary and Dickon worked a little here and there, and Colin watched them. They brought him things to look at. Buds which were opening. Buds which were tight closed. Bits of twig whose leaves were just showing green. The feather of a woodpecker which had dropped on the grass. The empty shell of some bird early hatched. Dickon pushed the chair slowly round and round the garden, stopping every other moment to let him look at the wonders springing out of the earth or trailing down from trees. It was like being taken in state round the country of a magic king and queen and shown all the mysterious riches it contained. I wonder if we shall see the robin, said Colin. I'll see him often and now after a bit, answered Dickon. When the egg satches out, the little chap will be so busy it'll make his head swim. They'll see him flying backward and forward, carrying worms not as big as himself, and that much noise going on in the nest when he gets there as fair flusters him, so as he scarce knows which big mouth to drop the first piece in, and gaping beaks and squawks on every side. Mother says when she sees the work a robin has to keep them gaping beaks filled, She feels like she was a lady with nothing to do. She says she sees the little chaps when it seemed like the sweat be dropping off of them. The folks can't see it. 
This made them giggle so delightedly that they were obliged to cover their mouths with their hands, remembering that they must not be heard. Colin had been instructed as to the law of whispers and low voices several days before. He liked the mysteriousness of it and did his best, but in the midst of excited enjoyment, it is rather difficult never to laugh above a whisper. Every moment of the afternoon was full of new things, and every hour the sunshine grew more golden. The wheeled chair had been drawn back under the canopy, and Dickon had sat down on the grass and had just drawn out his pipe when Colin saw something he had not had time to notice before. That's a very old tree over there, isn't it? He said. Dickon looked across the grass at the tree, and Mary looked, and there was a brief moment of stillness. Yes, answered Dickon after it, and his low voice had a very gentle sound. Mary gazed at the tree and thought, The branches are quite gray, and there's not a single leaf anywhere, Colin went on. It's quite dead, isn't it? I admitted Dickon, but them roses as has climbed all over it will near-eyed every bit of the dead wood when they're full of leaves and flowers. It won't look dead then. It'll be the prettiest of all. Mary still gazed at the tree and thought, It looks as if a big branch had been broken off, said Colin. I wonder how it was done. It's been done many a year, answered Dickon. Eh, with a sudden relieved start and laying his hand on Colin. Look at that robin. There he is. He's been foraging for his mate. Colin was almost too late, but he just caught sight of him. The flash of red-breasted bird with something in his beak. He darted through the greenness and into the close-grown corner and was out of sight. Colin leaned back on his cushion again, laughing a little. He's taking her tea to her. Perhaps it's five o'clock. I think I'd like some tea myself. And so 
they were safe. It was magic which sent the robin, said Mary secretly to Dickon afterward. I know it was magic, for both she and Dickon had been afraid Colin might ask something about the tree whose branch had broken off ten years ago, and they had talked it over together, and Dickon had stood and rubbed his head in a troubled way. We mun look at it as it wasn't no different than the other trees, he had said. We couldn't never tell him how it was broke, poor lad. If he says anything about it, we mun. We mun try to look cheerful. Aye, that we mun, had answered Mary. But she had not felt as if she looked cheerful when she gazed at the tree. She wondered and wondered in those few moments if there was any reality in that other thing Dickon had said. He had gone on rubbing his rust-red hair in a puzzled way, but a nice, comforted look had begun to grow in his blue eyes. Mrs. Craven was a very lovely young lady, he had gone on rather hesitatingly. And mother, she thinks maybe she's about Misselthwaite many a time, looking after Mr. Colin, same as all mothers do when they're took out of the world. They have to come back, the seas. Happen she's been in the garden, and happen it was her set us to work and told us to bring him here. Mary had thought he meant something about magic. She was a great believer in magic. Secretly, she quite believed that Dickon worked magic, of course, good magic, on everything near him, and that was why people liked him so much and wild creatures knew he was their friend. She wondered, indeed, if it were not possible that his gift had brought the robin just at the right moment when Colin asked that dangerous question. She felt that his magic was working all the afternoon and making Colin look like an entirely different boy. It did not seem possible that he could be the crazy creature who had screamed and beaten and bitten his pillow. Even his ivory whiteness seemed to change. The faint glow of color which had shone on his face and neck and hands when he first got inside the garden really never quite died away. He looked as if he were made of flesh, instead of ivory or wax. They saw the robin carry food to his mate two or three times, 
and it was so suggestive of afternoon tea that Colin felt they must have some. Go and make one of the men's servants bring some in a basket to the rhododendron walk, he said, and then you and Dickon can bring it here. It was an agreeable idea, easily carried out, and when the white cloth was spread upon the grass, with hot tea and buttered toast and crumpets, a delightfully hungry meal was eaten, and several birds on domestic errands paused to inquire what was going on and were led into investigating crumbs with great activity. Nut and shell whisked up trees with pieces of cake, and Soot took the entire half of a buttered crumpet into a corner and packed at and examined and turned it over and made hoarse remarks about it until he decided to swallow it all joyfully in one gulp. The afternoon was dragging towards its mellow hour. The sun was deepening the gold of its lances. The bees were going home, and the birds were flying past less often. Dickon and Mary were sitting on the grass. The tea basket was repacked, ready to be taken back to the house. And Colin was lying against his cushions, with his heavy locks pushed back from his forehead, and his face looking quite a natural color. I don't want this afternoon to go, he said, but I shall come back tomorrow, and the day after, and the day after, and the day after. You'll get plenty of fresh air, won't you? said Mary. I'm going to get nothing else, he answered. I've seen the spring now, and I'm going to see the summer. I'm going to see everything grow here. I'm going to grow here myself. That the will, said Dickon. Us'll have thee walking about here and digging same as other folk afore long. Colin flushed tremendously. Walk, he said. Dig, shall I? Dickens' glance at him was delicately cautious. Neither he nor Mary had ever asked if anything was the matter with his legs. For sure thou will, he said stoutly. Thou, thou's got legs on thy own, same as other folks. Mary was rather frightened until she heard Colin's answer. Nothing really ails them, he said, but they are so thin and weak 
They shake so that I'm afraid to try to stand on them. Both Mary and Dickon drew a relieved breath. When the stops being afraid, they'll stand on them, Dickon said with renewed cheer. And they'll stop being afraid in a bit. I shall, said Colin. And he lay still as if he were wondering about things. They were really very quiet for a little while. The sun was dropping lower. It was that hour when everything stills itself. And they really had had a busy and exciting afternoon. Colin looked as if he were resting luxuriously. Even the creatures had ceased moving about and had drawn together and were resting near them. Soot had perched on a low branch and drawn up one leg and dropped the gray film drowsily over his eyes. Mary privately thought He looked as if he might snore in a minute. In the midst of this stillness, it was rather startling when Colin half lifted his head and exclaimed in a loud, suddenly alarmed whisper, Who is that man? Dickon and Mary scrambled to their feet. Man, they both cried in low, quick voices. Colin pointed to the high wall. Look, he whispered excitedly. Just look. Mary and Dickon wheeled about and looked. There was Ben Weatherstaff's indignant face glaring at them over the wall from the top of a ladder. He actually shook his fist at Mary. He mounted another step threateningly as if it were his energetic intention to jump down and deal with her. But as she came toward him, he evidently thought better of it and stood on the top step of his ladder, shaking his fist down at her. Ben Weatherstaff called out Mary, finding her breath. She stood below him and called up to him, 
with a sort of gown. 